When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On tonight's Dad Band Land, here's some of what we're going to be talking about. This is the podcast formerly known as The Grateful Dads, now reincarnated oh, that's as right. Dad Band Land. Thank God, dude. This is so... This is, I feel free. I feel liberated from the very start. I was in denial about the name of this thing anyway, if you recall. I kept saying this wasn't it. Our thousands of listeners, uh, you know, have been downloading Dad Band Land and hearing us say The Grateful Dads, but we've made the choice now. At least our tens um, of listeners. Our right. tens of listeners. And here's what happened, everybody, in case you're wondering, is we started realizing that uh, although The Grateful Dads is a really funny title for a podcast, um, it might attract Grateful Dead fans. Right. Would, right. Some and, of us realized that. Repel- that's a problem. Yeah. That's not a problem per se. Well, no, well, but we're, we're but not Grateful Dead fans, except them. for Brian, yeah. who... Is a fan of everybody. Likes everything. No, but to, so to your point, to count. your point, the issue was if you like Grateful Dead, you're going to be like, oh man, I'm going to check out these dads talking about Grateful Dead, and you're going to be painfully disappointed to find out that we're not. And I'm going to be like, oh, Brian's the best one. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be like, we love that Brian show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. love Brian Frank and those yeah. guys. And then, uh, and then the alternative would be. Oh my gosh, I hate the Grateful Dead. I will never tune into those dads talking about the Grateful Dead, and they may never discover our show. So it was a lose lose sort of name, yeah. ultimately. But we're back. We're back with our real name. And by the way, if you have feedback about the title or anything else, send it to dadbandland at gmail.com. All right, we're kicking off. Here's what's going to happen. I want to start by talking about what you and I did last Friday, Kevin, because we jammed at Mike's place. We did. We did. It was it was more of a celebration of being vaccinated that included jamming but it was yes. kind of glorious to be honest it was really glorious it was um it wasn't just the band the entire band was there but um uh there were bonus we had there were guest stars 
There are, there yeah, there were guest ribs. stars. <laughs> there were ribs, and and our old bass player Phil was there. Yeah, as was our current bass player Marcus. So you uh, know, I mean, honestly, it really was like a, this is a greatest hits of our last year and a half of our experiences. It really, all came together. Right. You know, just our whole lives. I got to tell you this. I don't normally eat ribs at like one in the morning, and um, right. <laughs> and, and I was like, for some reason, I woke up the next morning. I'm like. God, it was so hot in this house, and then I realized I I just had the I had the meat sweats. I had meat sweats after that. I, I <laughs> like was three in bed. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> Jesus, the air conditioning's on. Why Why am I sweating in bed? What is going on here? I didn't realize that that's you get the meat sweats, or at least I get the meat sweats. When you eat meat late at night, absolutely, you get meat sweats. And it was a hot night, and we only played I think one song that our band plays out of deference for the other people who were there who are not members of the band. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but well, because we're 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 skilled at playing a number of songs, mediocre, right? So, at so that we didn't time. even. Play. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think it was awkward having our ex bass player and our bass player there at the same time? Well, well when they started to, to punch each other over being in Dad's band, that got real weird. But yeah, I no, thought that was kind of odd. That was odd. No, of no. course not. The thing is, I think we should have two bass players. Did you ever think about that? No one does it. I think we should too. Phil yeah. left us when we did the punk set. Remember, we had our first pro gig at a at a punk bar that was back a year ago, last December or January, and uh, Phil was like, "I'm not playing punk." Well, he, he he's more of a no, bluegrass he, guy. He basically saw the track list or song list and was like, "I don't know any of these songs. I've never heard any of these songs." <laughs> and you know, and you know, more power to him. He 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 left. <laughs> he and, did what's right. He was always yeah, trying to move us to the more power to his love of bluegrass. It's legit. It's just not yes. legitly something that we're going to be playing for people. That's he was the, always trying to slide us in there subtly. He was right. like, guys, let's play a blues. And then it would turn out to be like a bluegrass. Well, blues I think this is a us. universal thing amongst dad bands, I'm guessing, across the nation or the world, is that you come in, you play some songs, everyone sort of gets together, and then eventually it devolves into some sort of bluegrass, everyone plays blues in A, and there's like seven acoustic guitars sort of playing simultaneously. That's where they all end up at the end of the day, and he was very good at that. You just made me hate music right there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it was a good night. It gives me hope that we could be back post-pandemic as a band really soon. I sent a text out to the band where I was saying, you know, people... People during this pandemic have forgotten how to party, and it's up to us, Adam, to show them, to, to lead them. Teach the children. Teach the children. Lead them back to society <laughs> to remind them how to enjoy themselves. It's really a, our responsibility. I mean, we're almost, we're, it's a noble calling that we have right now. I think you're right. And let's, so let's get right back into the stuff that we do, and then we're going to open up the floor to the other issues. But, um, you know, the, Always on this podcast, always on all three episodes, we go to talk to take apart one song that we've played. Oh, but you know what? Before we do that, let's do our whole preview and introduction of everybody. Oh, yeah. Who's here? We're going to talk through um, Don't Change by NXS, and then we're going to open up a question to the floor, which is um, live versions of songs versus their studio versions and what live versions are better. Then we have Brian Frank, The House of Wax. What album have you brought for us today, Brian? We have uh, the Smiths. The Queen is dead. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And and fi- and finally, and and just because he doesn't have a signature section of his own right now, I'll introduce him with the final section, which is guilty pleasures. Jeffy Brandon, are you bringing something special for guilty pleasures tonight? Of course, of course, I'm always bringing something special. I only bring <laughs> specialness. Jeffy has some kind of like space age condom on his mic tonight. Which is pretty <laughs> it's true. It is. It is from tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You want to I tell us about the condom of tomorrow? To, I'm not going to repeat what I said before. 
Suffice, yeah, suffice to say that Mike is not having babies <laughs> anytime soon. Any. <laughs> anyway, that's the show we have for you. But let's start with that segment that everybody loves. All our listener love this segment. Um, <laughs> he does and that's, love it. <laughs> and that's All breaking down the song. All our listener in <laughs> their base. Yes. <laughs> All nice. our listener base belong to us, and it's one base. Um, Kevin, we played uh, not my favorite in excess song. What um, what is your favorite in excess song, by the way? I'm gonna have to say it would Don't be say uh, no. It's probably uh, what you need off of um, "Listen Like Thieves." Nice, that's a great song. That is a good song. And and you know I love in excess, and I've loved them since I was you know just a kid. But really, when they started doing that like white funk rock thing that they did. I really got into them and don't change it from before that. It doesn't it, swing it a is. lot. In fact, I didn't really get into them till to what you need, but and and then kick obviously is the big one from my childhood. So this predates that. I wasn't as super familiar with it when we started playing it. And I'm glad but, we did it because it's a really cool song. It really is, and it has a really memorable um sweeping synth part to start. Let's hear a little bit of that, Kyle. It's a rare song that you get to open with, right? And kind of like move in and you set the tempo and we do this way. And then it comes in not when you think it's going to come in. So it took some, some rehearsals for me to remember actual what note it actually comes in on. <laughs> um, but once we got there, honestly, it's one of my kind of favorite sounds uh, is that sort of mixing of pretty crunchy guitar with your keyboard sound. We're playing yeah, the same thing. Yeah, we play all the fills together. Yeah. yeah, and it's super fun. And we're playing the same thing. I, I'm playing like the octaves of like fifth chords. And so it's very, it's very smooth. Do you know what I mean? It's not really crunchy and it's landing on what you're doing pretty well. It's a cool section that, that we sort of run in the, I guess in the beginning it comes back again. That intro repeats itself later on, but uh, we double that. And we also double that weird sound effect they do during the verse. You know, I'm standing here on the ground and both of us go do we, yeah, but there was there yeah. was a time, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time we were rehearsing it and I was off a, a half step and every time I did it, it sounded real experimental, we'll say. And I was like, what what the hell is going on here? And naturally I blamed you for that, but it was me. I was a half step off. That was entirely my problem. <laughs> yeah, that's all my right. Problem, it, gu- I, the guitarist is always wrong and thinks they're right. That's what happens. Yeah, that's, that's it's, it's, a, it's a personality <laughs> type. It's it's how it's how you get this way. But um there's also I mean, there's a lot of more cool stuff on that song than I thought. For one, it's the synth and the me and you doubling was really fun. Yes. But also there's some kind of like cool high harmonies in the final verse. Yeah, and it build, builds up. It goes it goes different places. I mean, it, it's honestly, once it gets to the verses, pretty easy on my part. You know, I'm just hitting the occasional chord. I, I don't even know what you're doing during the verse part. What are you doing? Um, Pretty much, uh, yeah, it's atmospheric shit. But at the very end, I go I go <laughs> arpeggio crazy. Yes. You know, just because just, just you can. It sounds so 80s. You know what's super cool about this song? And I don't know if it's the kind of song that, that a lot of cover bands pull into their into the repertoire but it sounds different than the general sort of rock and roll sort of songs that are pulled in do you know what i mean it's it's the synth ba- the synth aspect of it mixing with it the tempo is somewhat different than usual it really sort of breaks up you know the drum part's songs. a little weird yeah it, it's a it, yeah I, I found it i i didn't know how i was going to come across and i found myself enjoying it a lot because it was a little bit of a left turn from what you know bands are usually covering 
Yeah, and you know what? It, it was only well-known because it, I think it came out at a time when people were hungry for new music videos. And, and Shabu Shaba came out at, during the dawn of MTV. And I really think most of this video was in excess on the back of a pickup truck with a camera oh, circling really? them. And yet, and yet that video played all the time, which is what, what kind of made that song a minor hit. But one thing I did notice is that our crowd, such as it was, went crazy for that song. Yeah, su- surprisingly, for a song that I wasn't that familiar with, I you know sometimes you find out that people have different lives than you realized, and you're like, wow, someone <laughs> someone experienced something completely different than we did. I can't believe Jeffy, it. Jeffy, Brian, do you guys have any history with that song at all? Does it bring back anything for you? Not at all for me, unfortunately. Don't hey guys, thank you, thing. thank you guys, because uh, I felt like the weirdo, right? It was it was like when I was at a dance, I was at a dance in high school one time, and and then electric slide came on, and everyone could do it, and I was like, what the hell? Did you guys get a brochure that I was not that I did not get? I didn't even did, know this. Did you accidentally go to high school in 1968? No, it became it was popular. This was in the 90s. It was a thing. I don't know. I was as confused as everyone else. It just <laughs> everyone knew it. It's just that everyone knew it. <laughs> And I was like, what's going on here? Um, yeah, yeah I, there, I felt like was I was... Was there a yeah. DeLorean involved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was a DeLorean involved. <laughs> yeah, this why, is that weird? The, this um, no, one's it, an oldie where I come from. <laughs> exactly. Oh. It's a futury where I come from. And, I, uh, had a, I had a similar experience with the chicken dance at a wedding. Had never heard of it. And all of a sudden, people are doing the chicken dance. And I still yeah. don't get it. It still makes me feel alienated when people do wow. it. Wow. That no, it, it is interesting because you're you alienating me right now. I know that's you weird. love the chicken dance, Jeffy. No, I just don't understand how you could not. I wouldn't know, know what it. it is. And, and also, I guarantee you, this is what's happening <laughs> what right now. Of, what kind of life did you lead? And hermetically sealed because everybody dance. listening to no. it right now, it's playing in their heads right now as we say this. Yeah, it's not playing in their heads. It's actually playing. Yeah, yes. <laughs> they're doing it. So well, now at least I didn't. Heads. At yeah. least I didn't mention something worse than that. I mean, I could I could have mentioned the one eight hundred cars for kids, right? Uh, one eight seven seven cars for kids theme, which I won't. Or <laughs> d- don't also do not mention the I Dream of Genie theme. <laughs> yes. Oh. Oh, we have to do a whole section on deplorable earworms. That will be great. Oh, uh, but right I'm now, what we're going to do is a whole section on paying our bills. Ladies and gentlemen, Dad Band Land will be back after this. ah. (laughs) Well done. And we're back on Dad Land. (laughs) We've just just insulted Kyle for no reason. Um, Hey, everybody, um, we're going to go to the big roundtable discussion question. Uh, This week, it's... What live versions of songs are more successful and or better than their studio versions? And th- th- we can open this up to other things, but that was the original topic that we uh, proposed. I-, I think, Brian, you proposed it. That's the kind of thing people don't think enough about, do you know what I mean? Like, people don't realize versions of songs they love might actually be the live version. That there's some studio version out there that they don't even know about. Well, let's was- start with that. Yeah, I was watching CNN and I was like, why aren't they covering this? People are not thinking enough about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. they're infotainment at this point. Yeah. Nothing else going on in the world. No, this is important. This means now, something. Now, Im- immediately Kyle uh, just texted us with um, Nirvana Unplugged. And that's a good place to start. Because um, MTV Absolutely. used to have this Unplugged series and Nirvana famously showed a completely different side of themselves with their Unplugged thing. I think that Unplugged album might have come out before their 
their next album with Heart Shaped no, Box no, on it? No, 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 no. It, was it not, came out. Okay. No, it came out after. Came out, it came out after, after he Uterine? died, okay. obviously. But it, it was recorded a few months before he died. It came out. Right. It was recorded December, I believe, of the same year. No, no. In Utero is fall of '93. It came out. Right. It was recorded in. It was actually recorded. I think that December, and it came out or it aired around that time. And then he died in April of '94. So, do you think there's any songs on um, Nirvana Unplugged that are better known or better than uh, the the studio versions? In my opinion, I I would say better known, but not better. In I'd my agree. opinion, about a girl. Yes. Because not a lot of people knew that first record. And if anyone out there in our listenership, um, namely our listener. Adam's dad. Uh, <laughs> if you have the the bootleg version of he our first away years ago, <laughs> yeah, of our <laughs> yeah, but he's our, still listening. Yeah, he's listening. <laughs> of our first of our first episode, I believe that was my first. Uh, it was your it was Brian's your House record. I mean, you yeah. you had break, yeah. broken it down. Um, to yeah. Adam's point, I do. I guess it was unexpected to some people, but Nirvana always had songs on the records like Polly and Something in the Way and Penny Royalty that were Penny acoustic. Royalty, yeah. And and it surprised a lot of people. I guess people were thinking of them as mostly smells like Teen Spirit, but they had always had that aspect about them. I would say yeah. that to the more popular, I think all apologies off of the live one is the one people know more than the one off of the album. I think that one is the oh. plus but the is Minnesota it World cover. I don't know if it's better. Yeah, I don't think it's better, but it's the one yeah. people know. Let's yeah. hear a little bit of both back to back. really good they both they're both very different um uh, you know when it gets yeah. louder it's better on the on, on the studio one yeah, yeah, and that's I what think, kurt cobain did i think penny royalty on the album is one of my favorite not on the unplugged ones one of my favorite ones off of in utero because there's this harmony part during the vocals he does a great version of it in unplugged it's not quite as good as the one on the album but i love that he just does it unplugged and it's just him and the acoustic guitar i mean that's the kind of thing that you weren't seeing a lot of it. I guess people didn't expect from them, but um, it's a shame because I think uh, yeah. there's a lot more music like that that they were going to get to and never did. They, they probably were. I want to move us off of Nirvana because this, this is such a rich topic, but I do want to say, just because this brings it up, is um, the first thing I ever had published in the professional world <laughs> was an angry letter I wrote to the New Yorker about their obituary for Kurt Cobain. Wow. Because it nice. was snide and dismissive and exactly what a boomer might say about about <laughs> Nirvana. And I, I just fucking lost my mind and wrote a really angry letter. Did they print it? Can we find this letter? Because I want to No, they printed it, it. Yeah. I have no idea what I said. I was just I was enraged. I wrote it. I printed it out. I sent it. Oh man, that's awesome. That's we gotta impressive. find that. We gotta find it. We gotta do a dramatic reading of that on on the podcast. We gotta find it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, well, to the topic, and, and I agree with you, Adam, that it is a rich topic, I, I will humbly submit 
a uh, better known and I believe better version of Turn the Page by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, the live version from Live the Bullet. I believe it's superior opening with that saxophone solo. Did it chart higher? Uh, yeah, yeah, it absolutely did. I, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was, definitely, it was de- definitely on the radio a lot more. And yeah, it's the one that everybody just, knows, yeah. As long as we're throwing things out, let, let's remember there are certain... Search conviction. He did, yeah. He seemed like, yeah. yeah. But we but can't correct ones that yeah. are definitely there, like, for instance, Cheap Trick. Yeah. I want had you to a couple of hit, yeah. Had a couple of hits with... with from that live album, which is, I guess, Budokan, was Budokan. it? Cheap Trick at Budokan. In fact, the, yeah, the People version haven't I want heard you to the recorded me. version. Yeah, yeah. The, the version I want you to want me, which is off of In Color, which is what they were touring for. No, they were touring for Heaven Tonight. But anyhow, they um, that's the version that everyone knows. They don't realize it's live most of the time. If you ever play the studio version, you have no. It's a, it sounds totally different. I mean, they had recorded a number of studio versions, and there's, it's totally a different song. To, to that, let's play just a snippet of the studio version, just because it'll freak your shit out. Makes me feel, yeah, yeah it's, it's a real oopy piano-y. Feeling, right? It's real. It's just. It's totally different. It, it, um, it ain't right. But now well, I want to go to the here's a, fun, here's a fun fact of okay. it. If you if you're here, if you if you listen to the Budokan one, there's that part where didn't I didn't I didn't I see you crying, and you hear the audience saying crying 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 like an echo. You hear the audience screaming that. It's because they're yeah. mimicking the actual echo from the studio version of of the song so so, so their love along. of the studio version led to the version yeah that we all know. that's why you hear a crowd chanting in like an echo because they're mimicking the echo of the studio version it's crazy but it's there it's hiding in there then uh, you have to go to the big one to me the big kahuna of live ones known way better than their originals it has to be frampton comes alive right yeah, up to the point where Show I'm not sure the there way. were studio that there were studio versions of those songs. <laughs> were there? <laughs> there were those three massive hits where we're like, uh, "What, baby, uh, baby, I love your way." And uh, what's the one with the, the talk two? box? The talk box. Yeah, wah, Show wah, me wah, the wah, way. Wah, Show me the way. Show me the way. Yeah. Show me the way. Yeah. Pe- wah, people wah, wah, just wah. know. Wah, yes. Wah, wah. Yeah. Jeffy like just did an incredible talk box. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, I it's to the point where you cannot convince me that there are studio versions. That's the only version anyone has. That's the only version that exists. Well, I mean, there, there, there are songs that only exist in live versions, like No Leaf Clover, true. for example. That, that's like true. No Ooh. Leaf Clover would be, yeah. that's from the Metallica S&M 1999 yeah. um, that's right. release, and that is only created only for live. that live version. Yes, yeah. that and what's the other one? Minus Human from that same that's right. recording are the only live performance there's never been a studio release of either of those boom nice wow well done you dropped some knowledge yeah that was a knowledge bomb in a similar way uh heaven and hell by the who Who? was a b-side of a single that's the only studio version of it was a b-side of a single not on an album but if you listen to live at the isle of white by the who that heaven and hell is blistering Okay, so now you're moving into into just live versions that are better. Yes, 
Okay. Yeah, that's well, fair. That's fair. Well, well, so one thing yeah, yeah, yeah. we can bring up is is we were talking about how U2's um, Sunday Buddy Sunday, I prefer the live version from Under a Blood too. Red Sky, even right. though the studio version is also a hit. You know, I mean, they were both True. hits. But that live version captures what I love about U2. It captures, you know, the intensity of their performance. It's just got this great energy to it. And I love that studio version, but there's something about that live version that that is even more magical. Well, their their album, the Rattle and Hum, is also um, li- is that all live or partially live? It's all live, right? Or is it a Brian mixed knows. A mix? Thank you. It's a mix. Yeah, there's some studio songs and some live songs. But I think what does make the live Sunday Buddy Sunday so magical is just Bono's intro. Right. <laughs> it right. just you, sets you, the what's tone. That, what is, what's he say? What's he say there? <laughs> Says, uh, there's been a lot of talk about this next song. <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe too, too much, much talk. talk. <laughs> this song is not a rebel song. This song is Sunday, <laughs> bloody Sunday. Sunday. You know what? I'll really tell you good. what. We oh, can all good. say those words. We all know that. Yeah, shit. totally. It's just like totally. This is we, a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. <laughs> the Beatles. We're, totally. we're stealing it back. <laughs> and 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 it and it it gave a weight to those songs that I was like, this is better than that Weird Al song. This is more important than that Weird Al song I just heard, right? This is clearly I, I, this is like adult shit, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah. This is, is there like, a live I gotta right? say, do you prefer the live version of Eat It? Is the question. <laughs> I do. I well, do which, because which, you know what? His band was really. Which, well, we're talking about uh, we're talking Boston Garden Store. That's bullshit. That that's bullshit. bullshit. That, 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 that side man who, who backed up the accordion at Wembley was ass, yeah. whereas the guy he had at the Boston it's Garden like, was Come on, we know you're a harmonium player. Just <laughs> yeah, go away. Up. Yeah. Um, take, take your squeeze box and leave. Uh, take your- <laughs> I got to say, I'm going I'm to no, be Go get a, your squeeze box. <laughs> We're gonna have to um, have a whole U two section on this show at some point because oh, yeah. I have such a love hate relationship with that band. Interesting. I really you feel hate like how much you that, love them. Here's my thing: is that like U two has what I consider an incredibly singularly uncreative and dragging the band down rhythm section. Ooh. I think Ooh. I think I think it's Bono Boo. and the. Let me say. Boo. Let me say. Let me speak my piece. I think it's Bono and the Edge. And you two just got lucky. Oh, 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 boo. Um, I, you know, this is, a, this is a longer discussion. This is not the subject we're on, but no. I think I think that bands are made right. up of magical parts and they all have different things that yeah, congeal and together. The, yes. And you two is one of those uh, bands. And here's yeah, what I, here's I, what I'm going to add to that. Here's gonna, what I'm going to add to that. Hold go, on. I'm not going to listen to a band led by Larry Mullen Jr. I'm just not. This is important. Larry Mullen Jr. and Bono will attest to this, is the soul of you too, I agree. I, I okay. kid you not. Uh, great, he makes it's it's but I want to point out that souls souls don't don't play instruments. And and yeah, I, I, I want to point out by bringing another Irish tradition up that I think you two is in the style of, which is Lucky Charms cereal, which is the marshmallows are magically delicious, and maybe you feel like you need those Odie bits in there, but nobody loves them because they're not great. Speaking of Lucky Charms, though, have do you guys recall the Ben Stiller show skit? Uh, of you too, I don't. I do not. Ooh, there's two really good ones where you two plays their first gig at a bar mitzvah, mm-hmm. which is really good. <laughs> and the hilarious. second is they um, they do a, a lucky a song about Lucky Charms 
uh, which uh, oh, you got to wow. say. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it's that was my comedy insight just yeah. now. Yeah. I guess Ben Stiller also realized that uh, Larry and Curly were not really worthy of the band. Um, hey, oh, but so let's. Dude. I want to I bring up one more uh, thing, and it was Brian's idea uh, to mention this is that uh, Stevie Wonder's Fingertips Part Two, his first hit when he was just known as Little Stevie Wonder, I don't think anybody's even heard the original recording of that. So, so as you're talking about the uh, the different version of uh, Cheap Trick, I want you to want me. Listen to the original Stevie Wonder Fingertips. It's like a jazz song. It's a completely different song. It'll blow your mind. It's wow. wild. Yeah, yeah. Do you know where yeah. was that the original finger, Studio Fingertips? What what record is that on, or is that a single? You don't know. Something. It was on an album. Yeah, it was on an album. It was one of those, again, the like his first album, second like album. Lost Little History, Stevie, yeah. yeah, Little Stevie Wonder, whatever. <clears throat> I mean, even the live one is called right. Recorded Live, The 12-Year-Old Genius. So what's the studio version <laughs> when he was 11? Right. He was, right. <laughs> he was, he was a genius really early. Yes. 100%. <laughs> and, um, and to the U2 seriousness point, Kevin, I will say, Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison yes. Blues... From at Folsom Prison, it does yeah. not get more real than that shit. That is absolutely nope. right. That that is outstanding, top to bottom. Even if you don't like the music, and I don't know why why you wouldn't, but let's say you didn't, that is an experience that everyone should go through. Is that record? Uh, I agree. I agree. That record is special. And you know what else is special? Our sponsors. <laughs> ah, We're yes. cutting to them right now. Dad Band Land will be back after this. And we are back from commercial. Boy, that was a good commercial. Ooh, I thought we all read it very well. Yeah. Okay. It is now time, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as you know, Brian Frank, our our dear um, uh, chief chief vinyl officer. Yes. And what also band doing? manager extraordinaire <laughs> is here with his house of wax. <laughs> Brian. What platter did you bring to lay on the cats and kittens this week? Oh, wow. Uh, uh, this week we're talking about the Smiths, the Queen is Dead. All right. Oh, yeah. This, um, is, a, this is a big topic. Talk this, to us about this it. Is a, this is a big topic. To, to me, this is a peak, peak Smiths. Um, I'll give a couple of the facts real quick. Um, it was produced by Morrissey and Johnny Marr uh, with their uh, reliable engineer, Stephen Street, just like their previous album, Meat is Murder, and the album that followed it, Strange Ways, Here We Come. Uh, and um, this album spent 22 weeks on the UK chart. It hit number two. Wow. It spent 21 weeks on the European chart, hitting number 19. And it actually made the US charts at number 70. So, which was good for the Smiths, if you can believe it back yeah. then. Um, I can believe it. The, t- <laughs> the, uh, the title of this album is from the novel Last Exit to Brooklyn. Uh, even though the song is, uh, is actually about the Queen, sort of, um, it's taken from this chapter of this novel that is about a transgender hooker who dies of a drug overdose. Marcy's just so uplifting with his positive messages. <laughs> Sounds like oh, a pretty yeah. woman. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, she's got a heart of gold. Right. Um, 
Well, that's that's some that, that's some good knowledge. Uh, I want to yeah. I want to spread the floor unless you have another factoid you need to get our way. Um, I, I have a fun fact for later. Um, this is, but okay. I, I do want to share my personal fun fact. These are some of my favorite Morrissey lyrics, and I actually, as I was listening to it for the billionth time in preparation for this episode, <laughs> I wrote down a couple of my favorite lyrics from each song. So I'm not going to bore you now, but. These may become relevant later. No, it's, it's on a little matter. We are no. gonna we're gonna have to backload a lot of shit because yeah. we like to stay very positive here. And obviously, Marcy has moved to a place where he's kind of dead to us right, right. now. But I want to talk about that later. We, we, we and, should, um, we should also, in this mo- stay in the moment here. Do you know what I mean? Discuss let's stay in the moment in here in the moment. late '80s. So here's the thing I want to put forward: my thesis about this album, especially listening to it again, is that um, it sounds like. When, when I listen to it now, in the same way that Sgt. Pepper was sort of thought to define a generation, even though the, those guys were from the generation before, I feel like The Queen is Dead says everything you need to know about my generation, Gen X. Because he expresses so, Marcy expresses so many deep, passionate emotions at the same time as he's being completely ironic and busting on himself endlessly Mm -hmm. and that whole idea that like my feelings are real but i understand that i don't matter Mm -hmm. right so i can make fun of me to me that is peak gen x shit right i think that i think that's a very good point that you make because i didn't realize just how funny he sort of was at the time do you know like the wit sort of grew on me as i got older hilarious it's really funny it's really funny i mean i didn't get into well, two things about this. I didn't get into the Smiths or the Cure in, in high school when most people do because the last thing I needed was to be more emotional in high school, right? Like, I, I, turned, I turned to music to, like, empower Quite and escape taken. things. You know what I mean? I was like, and, yeah. so, and, and so while my art class friends were all into this, I was like, I need something. I need some escape from this, from this crap. But then, you know, then, then college and whatnot, I very much, when I was getting into suede, and in fact, the first version of Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others I heard was the Supergrass version in the 90s right like oh, that's wow. that's when i started to discover it i swear even listening to this i swear this was much earlier than 1986 and i think that's the production values of it because 1986 to me sounds different right it doesn't have the the peter gabriel so sort of gated drums it doesn't have the reverb like its production to me feels a little more in the early 80s and i think that's helped it a lot in it feeling timeless like it doesn't feel locked into Maybe. those styles I mean, it's, for me. It sparkles heavy. I mean, because and and you got to give Johnny Marr a lot of credit because yes. he layers those acoustic guitars with those echoey, very mid '80s electric guitars. I mean, some of those, some of those, some of the electrics could be like off a of simple Minds LP. Oh um, yeah, yeah, and, no, no, but he doesn't overlayer them and he doesn't overproduce it, which was starting to become the no. trend. And I think that I think it's absolutely right. We're still talking about it to this day. It well, sounds a, timeless. Yeah, and I think part of that is the nostalgia factor of the band, right? Even like, Mm -hmm. uh, I know it's over to me. It's like a fifties torch song. And, you know, Morrissey has, they do that like echo reverb thing on his vocals. It's like fucking Mm -hmm. Bobby Darren, but the the whole band is nostalgia. In is dead. That uh, movie dialogue that's in there Mm -hmm. is a movie that was nostalgic 
prior it was a movie from like the early 60s i think nostalgic for like world war one era it's like <laughs> yeah, nostalgia and is, within nostalgia he's always been right. like an old marcy man is writing to, to his yes. old he's yeah. writing to his old self too i mean yeah. like you know at the end of the album and to me some girls is, is are bigger than others is just an afterthought the end of the album <laughs> to me is um there is a light that never goes out right and he is not writing about how he feels now. That is teen Morrissey talking. And, and, and it also perfectly illustrates um, what I'm talking about. His over-the-top emotions are being expressed very, very honestly. You know, uh, take me home tonight. I don't want to go home because it's not my home. It's their home. And I'm not welcome anymore. And it's just, right. it's so melodramatic. And then he goes into that whole reverie about if a double-decker buck bus kills the both of us to die, to die by your <laughs> side, the pleasure, the privilege is mine. Yes. It's so over the top. And he both 100% feels it and knows that it's fucking hysterically funny. Well, right, and but, that's but the also thing kind is, of embarrassed yeah. to, to feel it. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't want to admit that he feels this because he's somewhat embarrassed, exactly. but he does feel it. That's, that's, and totally. that's, very, that's very Gen X. Like, I, I have feelings, but I'm not going to actually show them. I'm going to kind of make fun of them while I show them. And that's why I relate to what you're saying, Kevin. So I was into The Cure when they came out. I was not into The Smiths. I tried to like it, uh, you know, when I was like 12 or 13 or whatever. It didn't hit with me. And I think maybe because it was too real in the lyrics, right? right? The music, I just didn't get it. And, and then now, what's interesting, then I got into them like when I was in my 20s, right? And really got into the lyrics and really got into it. And it's weird because when I listen to the lyrics and everything that Adam's talking about, I have a nostalgia for being such an emotional, upset teenager and feeling these feelings so deeply. You know, yeah. like it puts you back into that mode. And it's weird because... I didn't listen to this when I was a teenager, but somehow it gives me the nostalgia for being dude, a teenager dude, at the same exactly time, right? exactly what I was saying. At the time, I, I'm not sure I was capable of it because it might have been hitting a little too close to the bone, right? Like a little mm -hmm. too close to home, and I wasn't ready for mm -hmm. that. But, well, but when I was better, the thing that, and then I look back, I was like, <laughs> this is capturing how I felt, but it it's was It's almost not, a love letter to narcissism, yeah. too, and that's hard yeah. to take when you're a teen to be called narcissistic. But yep. like Morrissey's comedy trope that he keeps going for is that it's funny because he makes it all about himself. Yes. You know, no matter what's happening, it's hysterically funny because somehow he manages, like Big Mouth Strikes Again. Oh. He has said something awful, and he talks about how he, you know, I was only joking when I said, you, you know, I'd like to smash every tooth in your head. Seconds later, he goes, and now I know how Joan of Arc felt. He makes himself the <laughs> martyr. The best, and I, the best part is, yeah, yeah, but I know how Joan of Arc felt as the flames... Rose to her Roman nose and her Walkman started to melt. Right. He can't even stay. He can't even remain thinking about Joan of Arc because he's thinking about himself. I, I think Queen is Dead is by far their best album, but he beat the, he, the apotheosis of that was on the next album, Girlfriend in a Coma. Yeah. Right. Where, where he's got a girlfriend in a coma and he manages to make it about himself. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, to your, to your point too, again, again, Brian, I think, I think enjoying this and one of the reasons why people still do enjoy it it's it is far more enjoyable to listen to it from the safety of being past these times in your life, right? Going uh, back and saying, you know what? I like accessing this and visiting this super emotional time, but holy crap, am I glad I don't have to live there? I'm glad I'm glad when I turn this record off, I go somewhere else because in the midst of it, it's it's rough. Yeah, I want to pull Jeffy in because I know in, Jeffy. In the Jeffy, midst I of life, we are in death, etc. <laughs> yeah, yes, Jeffy, I want to pull you in on this because I know you love Johnny Marr and I know you love the sound of this record. How is this all striking you right here, or is I mean, Morrissey himself too polluted for you to talk about this in a positive way? Frankly, Mister Shankly, 
Uh, Morrissey is a little. I mean, he's definitely uh, tainted. Yes. Now, it's but hard to. I mean, you know, we could we could we could have a whole show about artists yeah. that we. It's a tradition. Reluctantly listen to now. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it's like, what do you do? Divide things into eras? Or, anyway, frankly, Mr. Shankly's a great song. It's very catchy. Like, um, I don't, I don't want to add to what's been said. I appreciate you trying to bring me in, but uh, well, I just know how much you love Johnny Mars sound and what he's done on this record yeah, I, and in general. I, I, I couldn't write a book about it, but I, I certainly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that ruins I'm our whole plan for the rest of this yeah. this podcast. Well, yeah, so. yeah, wow. Well, well, we we'll, we'll fill that, time. We'll cut to the sponsor. Had, no, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I do. Speaking of books, I am showing uh, these guys the uh, Manchester Musical History Tour book. Um, and so, the last time that Laura and I were in Manchester, um, we went on the Manchester Musical History Tour. And a couple notes about this. The Manchester Musical History Tour used to be run by a guy named Craig Gill. Craig was the drummer of In Spiral Carpets. We as Americans oh. may or may not have heard of them, but that was the band that... Yeah. Anyone? Warmed up for the Smiths? Noel Gallagher, <laughs> Noel Gallagher oh. tried out was, to be in the band, oh, was rejected right. and became their roadie, roadie, right? Oh, that was the band he was yep. roadie for. I didn't know. Yeah. That. And he so, and Johnny Marr are friends, right? Like very good yeah. friends right now. So this is all. So, so Craig was the drummer of the band and he, he ran these tours and I reached out to him and his wife wrote me back and it's sad. He had such a awful case of tinnitus from playing the drums and other emotional issues. He had actually committed suicide oh, and his wife wow. was kind enough. She, she keeps this going and I have to highly recommend to anyone who comes to Manchester to look up the Manchester musical history tour. So his wife and her brother, we spent all day with them. And they took us everywhere. And the song Cemetery Gates off this album. Yeah. Laura and I <laughs> visited. <laughs> we visited the cemetery wow. gates and took photos in front of it. This photo on the cover is that photo of Joy Division on that bridge. Laura and I have a right. photo on that. And in the gatefold of the Queen is Dead, you know how the guys, uh, the Smiths are in front of the Salford Lads Club. Mm -hmm. uh, we took we took photos there too. They took us wow. to the re Joy Division's rehearsal space, all kinds wow. of yeah, the hacienda, everything. And so we got deep. Is my point. I just yeah. want to let you guys know we got deep, Excellent. and I go deep with this. <laughs> so what you're saying is there is a light that never goes out. There Correct. is a light that never goes. I out. I do want to say one thing about that song before yes. we, just before we move on, which is it really to me is emblematic of the kind of lilting. Uh, bouncy style that would that puts a smile on your face when you listen to it. Yes, yeah. and, and I would I would add that like there's like three songs on the album that do that same thing. Another is mm -hmm. "Boy with a Thorn in His Side," yep. which is the sparkliest, bounciest <laughs> piece of, so, of sad yeah. melodrama that you can ever hear. So, "Boy with the Thorn in His Side" was the first song that they recorded for this album. They recorded it as a demo. And that demo version ended up being the version on the album. It's apparently not only Morrissey's favorite Smith song. This is a quote from Johnny Marr. When we first played it, I thought it was the best song I ever heard. 
<laughs> wow. You know, that comes across. They're all having so That's... much fun on that song. Right. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, that, that, that song is that murderous desire for love. It's just, that's one of the first Smith songs that really captured me there. Because it, that, really, could, that really sums it up, everything that you were talking about before in terms of, like, just, like, pointing the, the camera back at himself. And, exactly. You know, like, Will they ever believe when I heard, me? When I first heard this song... <laughs> I thought it was the best song I'd ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> and I was playing hilarious. it. Yeah. That oh, absolutely yeah. sums it up. Um, and and the vocalist, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> One fun fact before we go. Okay. The first uh, backing vocal on Big Mouth Strikes Again, right? When they originally recorded it, there was a, oh, yes. there was a female backing vocal from Kirsty McCall. Kirsty McCall apparently had some pop hits uh, in England, and she was Steve Lillywhite's wife. Whoa. And she ended up being successful as a backup singer on all the Steve Lillywhite produced albums. But they albums. did not use that vocal. Robert Plant, Simple Minds, Talking Heads. And to our U2 discussion, she sequenced the Joshua Tree. Whoa. This singer. That's actually, oh, wow. Yeah, I, that I, interesting? Discuss, I feel like the first, I can't find no album that has three songs that are better than the first three songs on Joshua Tree. And that's not she, even my favorite U2 album, but that's just the best Brian, I'm going to give that album. factoid a 30% chance of making it onto oh, the show. Okay, hang on. Well, wait, wait. It gets, 60, 60. <laughs> right, it, gets, it gets better. So she okay. originally sang backup on Big Mouth Strikes Again. Johnny Marr didn't like it. He didn't like it. So they cut it. Morrissey sang backing vocals, and they just sped up the vocals so it would be in a higher pitch. And they gave him a credit. If you look on the back of this record... Uh, it has, uh, sorry, I've got my, I'm record nerd, uh, backing, backing vocals by Ann Coates, made up name for Morrissey as a sped up vocal. Ann Coates, Ann Coates. is the name of a famous, uh, editor. Exactly. Ann V. Coates. Editor of, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Yes. There you go. So I'm not sure what the wow. connection is, Coates. but yes. That is, that is some Ann deep Coates. stuff. All right. Before we leave this veil of tears, I want us to do two things. I want to do one fast and the other pretty fast as well. The fast thing I want to do is say that we're going to have to talk later about artists who in their later lives made us hate them. And Morrissey is the yep. poster boy he's, for this because yeah. his, <laughs> well, his being a racist fuck. I think Michael Jackson yeah, exactly. is there's the been actual some poster boy. There's been some precedent. He's yeah. high on the list, but there's, it's not he's like high he's, on the list. he is not the poster boy for this. I, did, I think there's I'll, say, I'll see... say it this way. Here's why, here's why I'm saying this, that Morrissey's a poster boy, is a lot of people had some suspicions about Michael Jackson back in the day. Ah. Uh, Morrissey right. went from being a guy who was ju just an embodiment of those who are trapped in sort of, you know, not the, not the life they want to lead. Maybe, maybe, their, maybe their gender, maybe their sexuality is, is not what the mainstream wants it to be. And, and, and like that pain and so well expressed on all those albums. Um, and he went from that to being known as that conservative racist fuck, uh, you know. And, and we're just gonna have to, for the rest of our lives, try to try to reconcile those beautiful yeah. records with that ugly, ugly human being who emerged in uh, uh, 2015. You say, Brian? Uh, thereabouts. This might seem rote to you guys, but to our listeners who are scattered across the globe, when I tell people about this, they do not believe me. But our listener does scatter across across the globe. <laughs> he sure does. He does. He does scatter he does. He across the globe. A lot. Yeah, he's a salesman. Um, globe trotter. <laughs> yeah, we love you, globe trotter. Um, 
most people don't know about the relationship between Morrissey and Los Angeles, which is wonderful, no, now no longer as wonderful, weird and awesome. It's bizarre. Um, which is that for some reason, the Los Angeles community, particularly sort of the alternative Latino community, picked up a love of Morrissey and his music, and particularly the Smiths, to the point where Los Angeles is, is in that community referred to as Mos Angeles for mm -hmm. Morrissey. And that is just... What a crazy mix of cultures right there. Absolutely. It's not something I would have predicted, uh, you know, as how that works <laughs> out. Um, it, it, but it clearly something is is appealing about him and what he represents, and it's definitely connecting with people. And, and you can't take that away from anybody. But, man, if you're going to sort of list things that you never thought would happen, that's one of the things I would not have seen coming. Yeah, uh, Laura and I went to see, uh, he played New Year's Eve, uh, December 31st, 2015, at the uh, basketball arena at USC, the Galen Center. And uh, when he did Meet His Murder, and they showed the video on it, uh, it had subtitles, everything was in Spanish. And I would say at least 75% of the audience was uh, Mexican-American. At that show. It's amazing, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. it really is. What I've been trying to figure out what it is. I think it might be that his extremes of emotion remind me of something I do from time to time, which is watching Mexican soap operas. Mm. It's just, it's just, it's so excessive. It's so over the top. It that and and you can appreciate it simultaneously as something like you're aware it's crazy over the top, but at the same time, there's something real there too. Well, uh, it, it very I'm much showing, shows that at, yeah. at the time he he definitely taps into some universal emotions. So this idea that, you know, it's some guy from Britain at this time, it, it's irrelevant. Do you know what I mean? The emotions he's tapping into seem to be transcendent of all that. Again, very surprising. N not that he did it, just surprising that the audience is that big for it. This is right. And Brian, what are you yeah, showing us? I'm right showing you guys a photo of Mexrasi, the Mexican Morrissey cover band posed in front of the Salford Lads oh, Club. Great. That's awesome. We're going to put that up what? on our Facebook page, which will probably exist by the time you guys hear this. Yes. <laughs> or on our Twitter feed. Uh, uh, All right. That'll be our first picture. <laughs> yeah, it'll be one of our first pictures. We have a lot of pictures to get, get to. All right, we're going to take a break now because we have to pay our bills with these incredibly awesome products. We'll be right back on what is now called Dad Band Land. Nice. Wow, I want to buy those products that I was just talking about, don't you? Of course, of course. Why would we promote them if we weren't going to buy them? <laughs> We're back on Dad Band Land. I really, when we started uh, renaming the, the podcast... You know, we were worried that dad band land is hard to say, but I've gotten good at saying it since. I haven't said it once this whole time. So if you notice that, I'm going to practice dad band land, dad band, dad band. No, that's not bad. Dad band, I, dad band land. I had Peter Sagal say it last a uh, couple of weeks ago on uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And he said it perfectly. Although, you know, he, he, he did acknowledge that it's hard to say. Right. But, you know, it's a challenge. It's not hard. It's a challenge. Yeah. It's just that true fans can say it. Right. And our fan is great at it. He is good at it. He's, as he, he's the best at as it. he trots around the globe. All right, so we're back, and it's now time for our erstwhile uh, ending dessert segment. We're going to come up with others, but it's we haven't exhausted delicious. this. One. It's delicious and nutritious. It's guilty pleasures, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Gather around, cats and kittens. It's time to spin those platters that matter. It's our guilty pleasure songs, and I want to start with the guy uh, with Jeffy Brannion. 
Oh, Jeffy. Well, thank you. What do you got for us, yeah. Jeffy? What's your guilty pleasure? You putting me on the vanguard of guilt. Uh, reclaiming guilty reclaiming pleasures. Your time. And yeah, songs that you're embarrassed them. that you like. Yes, I refuse to be embarrassed by this song. What is it? Well. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Dude, of course not. But I love it. No, this is straight to the heart. The only shame if you're a Gen Xer who feels shame about about having feelings, then I think that's the problem. This this is just straight up exactly how you should feel, <laughs> and it just nails it. And if you do feel shame, oh. it's your problem. God, is this good? I'm getting so pumped. I'm so pumped. <laughs> hey, Debbie, talk to us about okay. this song. What do you have to say about it? <laughs> um. I love Survivor. But do you love Survivor I, or this song? I mean, I love Survivor too, but... I love this Ke- song. Kevin, let the man speak. Yeah, I just want to know. Do you uh, love Survivor? I, I, well, I love this song. <laughs> That's enough. Um, I love that Survivor made it, I guess. So, it can be said, it could be said, it must be said. I love Survivor. There it is. Yeah. That's what I am That's the tiger the is step, special. Right? Saying yeah. it, admitting it. You gotta, you gotta say it out loud. Uh, that is amazing. Um, yeah, you're so right. I gotta say, it was about six months ago, like midway as the pandemic was making us all desperate to find entertainment for ourselves and our families. I showed both my kids and my wife, who had never seen it, Rocky Three. Oh yeah, never seen it. What? I don't think Jeannie had seen it, and I show and and, and we all watched Rocky oh, Three. Wow. I did not make my kids watch Rocky One and Two because I had recently done so for a different podcast, um, and I realized that uh, Rocky One was very overrated, and Rocky Two was more overrated than that. Um, oh. Rocky Three. Uh, if you love oh. misogyny, <laughs> yes. But, but, but exactly. there is a Rocky is, story. I mean, we, we watched them all up through four. They're never going to find out about five because mostly they wanted to get to Creed, and Creed is outstanding. Yeah, yeah. Um, Creed, Creed is great. Is outstanding. Yeah. Creed is great, but you do not need in any way to be a Rocky completist because we, <laughs> there's, a, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bad in Rocky. I mean, Morrissey's, Morrissey <laughs> is, 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 is pure as a driven snow compared to like, like the yeah. so-called romance yeah. of Rocky One, yeah. which is essentially like uh, rape plus. What? But um, in any what? case, he just adds bad thoughts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Rocky, Rocky one is like, oh, I don't think you want to leave. I think you want me to do this to you. Uh, but um, but in any case, Rocky three was so entertaining to my kids. My kids who, who were born 30 <laughs> years after that, Rocky. Like, it's only and, entertaining and to children. And when that song came on, they fucking went rocked to it. Right. Yeah, they went yeah. berserk. That song is 100%. Yeah, it's great. That's a song that will make you stand up in a movie theater and start screaming at the screen. No doubt. Yes. No, it, doubt. no doubt. No yeah. doubt. Um, did you get asked the question I got asked, which is why are they wearing crop tops at the beach? The the two the two dudes because I was I was asked well, that. And I was like, it's a different you know time. What? It was a different um, time. It's my it's, wife asked me a, that. It is a form <laughs> of sunscreen. Like, why are you wearing this now in, in the living room? <laughs> And if you have you any know, questions, we have the same sunscreen technology that's that true. we have that's now. True. We just had to protect the nipples. You need a physical layer. Um, but compare that to the Karate Kid 
you're the best around. Yeah. And clearly, yeah. Survivor, Eye of the Tiger, wins. Oh, yeah, yeah hundred times better. In a Thunderdome match between those songs, there's one clear yeah. Survivor. Yeah. Well, I love, yeah. I love the Survivor song <laughs> from Rocky IV, right? It's uh, from, uh, God, I'm blanking on the name of it. Kevin, I can't um, open the box entitled Rocky Four with you tonight. Oh man, I'm ready, to I'm ready to go there. Entire podcast. We can go there. Yeah. I've prepared uh, at no, any no, moment to no, drop no, Rocky I, Four knowledge. I'm, I'm literally telling you, we're not going there okay. tonight. Well, next but we are. Go, we are going to I you for your guilty you. pleasure. <laughs> um, oh, get my, whose guilty pleasure is next? Yours. Oh, Kevin. mine. Oh, crap. Um, mm-hmm. God, I'm yeah. so pumped it's up. I'm right so pumped from Jeffy's right now. I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, it's a rousing anthem. It is. Is it, it not? You know what? It is. It is. It is run that, just to go back to yours, It's. it was exciting. No. Then it became cheesy, and then it's now it's great again. It's an all-time classic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Now we love it. Now it's eternal. Um, it was good, then it became bad, yeah. and now it's <laughs> now good Now it's good again. forever. And now it's in. It's plateaued. It's good forever. Um, my guilty pleasure to me has no guilt. The reason that I'm bringing it up as a guilty pleasure is because it's not the kind of thing that rock guys or people of certain age might realize is good. And that is the 2017 self-titled album by Harry Styles, which every song is fantastic. And I'm bringing it up right now. Shamelessly. I don't I'm not worried about this. I have nothing to prove. Pop it in. So Harry Styles what, first album. Uh, yeah, it's Harry's it's solo album. It is. It's one with Sign of the Times on it. Every song is great. Play Sign of the Times, the song. It's a great song. This song is like a pure straight up Bowie Queen sort of 70s kick-ass tune. That's a ballad. There's some kick-ass sort of 70s-sounding rock songs on it, too, that uh, you would okay. not predict. It's I, I wouldn't know to make you feel guilty for that. I mean, I, I, I don't <laughs> no, know no, enough no, about Harry Styles really to, to mock you. What it ultimately is is I'm trying to use this guilty pleasure to angle people into discovering music they would love but might be kind of guilty okay. to check out because it's a little bit outside of their, a little too poppy, a little too much outside of their comfort zone. Go for it. You're going yep. to love this. No, there is no, there is popular music that that's sorry. There is popular music that's actually good. Exactly, and there's some that people absolutely might true not check out because they assume because he was a boy band leader, you know that sort of thing that that would not be their mm-hmm. cup of tea. I'm telling you, you like rock or you like things no. or like that. That's right. It's right up your alley. You're you're not wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace that. I don't know what that third chord was. It was like a one, a six, and then is that a two or something? A, a minor uh, you know, chord, I definitely. Don't, yeah, I don't know. But I pop on the record. Why don't you spend a week listening to it? You're going to go places emotionally. I, you know, I might, but I'm going to... Uh, you know what? I, I thought I was going to go to Brian next. I'm going to go to me because my guilty pleasure is adjacent to what you're saying, but it's genuinely a guilty pleasure <laughs> because mm. 
I'm a comedy writer, right? Yeah. So, like, part of my job for, you know, you know, uh, 12 years, 13 years of writing late night comedy was making this guy a punchline. And he deserves to be a punchline. Nobody likes being a, a teen idol, and he was terrible at it. Um, but here's a song that I've heard recently and remembered again. Is it is Judd a, Hirsch? No, it's not <laughs> Judd Hirsch. Teen idol Judd Hirsch. <laughs> Judd Hirsch in 1957, when he put that album out, he changed the world. With talking to myself, I think was the name of it. it was, he was looking moodily into a mirror. Um, no, uh, the Beebs has oh. a song called "Love Yourself." That I have to tell you, that's not only a good song. It's of my one of my favorite genres, which is the angry breakup songs full of insults. Um, but it feel that song feels good. Not only does it feel good, I, I'm going to make it even worse. You might be uh, familiar with Halsey. Sure. Uh-huh. She recorded a cover of Love Yourself where she replaced Justin Bieber's, um, uh, you know, uh, sanitized version of it It's and, and just sings Fuck Yourself, which is what he meant when he wrote it. Um, and it's it's wonderful, too. When you said um, you were going to make it worse, I feared you were going to say, and now I want to show you what my first tattoo is, and it was going to be the series yeah. of lyrics. Yeah, the Bieber on my arm? Yeah. No, that song is good, well, and, and I, looking I, into I it, I found out it was written by Ed Sheeran. I was, I was going to ask with that. With Justin Bieber? I was going to ask that if it's yeah. a Sheeran classic. It's a Sheeran classic. Kidding? Yeah, and um, I'm not proud of any of this, but I love that song. I think it's great. I, w- I would like to hear some of it, if that's possible. Let's listen. I know this song very well. I feel like it's on the radio every channel. funny it's yeah this is exactly the kind of song that i, that I hear every day and sort of take for granted and i know in 10 years yeah, in 10 absolutely. years i'll be like you know what that was that was a really good song Do you know that was I mean? pretty like, yeah. good yeah exactly and it, like, had it been from anybody other than the beebs i think we would have been like who's this promising young man <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah it it's like, like uh, <laughs> listen listening to hansen Oh, I, I love yeah. Hanson had later, one great like, moment. You know, that's pretty good. Go back on Hanson. I'm not. I'm doing the opposite. Yeah, I'm, no, so yeah, I'm, right. talking, I'm talking to. It's, I'm talking to Adam. Oh, he's uh, he's got fam. some anti oh. Hanson. Are you bagging on Hanson? Because I'm can, not. I no, okay. I'm not going to bag on Hanson. I'm going to. I'm going to instead. Like I'm going to Hanson baggers. <laughs> I'm, I'm no Hanson bagger. I think that was in my high school yearbook. No Hanson bagger. <laughs> I don't cotton to Hanson baggers. <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I am. I ain't no Hanson bagger. I promise you that, sir. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Brian Franks. Yeah, let's I take the pleasure. gravest possible exception. <laughs> uh, you're a Hanson bagger, sir. A Hanson bagger. A rank Hanson bagger. How dare you? Unhand me. Uh, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you saved me you. for last because I think my guilty pleasure is the perfect combination of the three previous guilty pleasures. Ooh, Ooh, thematic. Ooh, synthesized. Hybrid vigor. Yeah. So, <laughs> a band that existed prior to the '80s, but had this hit in the '80s, and it was weird because it was like a pop, a current pop hit in the '80s for an older band. So. Like Survivor meets sure. Harry Styles and Justin Bieber. And of course, you already knew I was talking about the Moody Blues, Your Wildest <laughs> Dreams. <laughs> of, of course. Oh, we all knew that. I mean, obviously. Geez. Oh, wow. That's I'm just glad uh, it wasn't We Built This City. Uh, oh, Jeffy, put wow. your wildest dreams on. Here you go. Here you go. I, I'm ready. God in heaven. I'm ready. Put it on. Yeah. Let's go for it. Can you hear that? Or no? Not yet. No, I think we're going to need Jeffy to do it. His sonic oh, setup I'm, I'm is better. I'm putting it on already. Do it. The beginning's pretty quiet. I remember it, though. Yeah. This is like abracadabra. Just it's wait. Like Just a, wait. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm down with this song. Oh. Once upon a time. I haven't heard this in first. Oh yeah, this is rocking. <laughs> this is so good. Oh. So if if you're not, let's just listen and we'll talk about it. Yeah, because we're not gonna. I forgot though. I mean, I knew it existed. I forgot what it sounded like. I totally forgot about this. This is great. Think of me. In your wild. <laughs> All right, Brian Frank, nice ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Nicely you done, Brian. delivered us. That, that, you're right, yeah, it did synthesize all of our ideas. I have to let, I have a little story about this yeah. song very briefly. I remember it was on the radio. It really it put the big, synthesis in. It, <laughs> it put the synthesis in the synthesizer. synthesizer. This was a big hit. I remember there was yeah. an interview on the radio locally where I was in Pittsburgh, and it was. What's it like to have a band that has lasted for over 20 years now? That, that was the idea. The mere concept of having a right. band over 20 years was so foreign to rock music in yeah. the 80s. It was like, can you believe it? This band existed in the 60s and now. And uh, that's so crazy. The 60s and today. And today. This is like asking some of a band from 2002 to be like, what's it like? <laughs> To have a band hey, almost 20 but, years old. Hey, the Strokes. What's exactly, it like to still be a You've band? Been around forever since the beginning of music. I since gotta the say, beginning though, of time. <laughs> I haven't thought of that song probably since it was a hit. I and agree. it is oh. delightful. It, is. it, it has yeah. a never-ending story feel to it that I forgot about, actually. That very much yeah. transported me. And an abracadabra land. feel. And an abracadabra. There's yeah. some abracadabra. It, it smoothed it's, out glory. was really... My blood pressure just dropped hearing that. That was really It just enjoyable. reached 
reached out and grabbed it you. Did. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if, you Brian. if you haven't watched the video recently, watch the video. <laughs> if okay. we haven't. Oh, we haven't watched that video. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. What is yeah. the video? I've been watching it all the time. Our listener hasn't watched that video and, uh, and, um, I watched but, that right after Umbop last yeah. night. <laughs> but what blew my mind about this... 99 Luftballon. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, he stole my guilty pressure for next week. Yeah, I but, know. Uh, <laughs> what Quality blew my song. mind, you know, I was thinking about this song the other day, you know, as one does. And, uh, <laughs> and I looked it up, and this is what blew my mind. Tony Visconti produced, produced this song Wait, and this album song. for the Moody Blues. Yes. Tell our listeners who Tony Visconti is. Uh, most famously known for producing David Bowie and T-Rex. Right, yeah. and he, but he can, and then he to, smoothed it all out. Well, he did, but I mean, he still he produced the last um, three or four, maybe even five Bowie records. Like he still was making music. Yeah. This is a weird yeah. little anomaly for him in the, yeah. in the late eighties. You're yeah. you're you're saying it's not music? No, no, no. I mean, the smoothed out <laughs> nature of it. He was. He, 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 <laughs> Oh, that was this delightful. Was a this anomaly it's a weird he, anomaly. He, he stopped he, making music. He did, what was he doing during this time? I mean, he did that song. Not music. I gotta say, yeah, it's not this, music. This, this conclusion validates the whole idea of the guilty pleasure section because that was an absolute pleasure. I know. Um, and now we're going to go, guys. I mean, we're at the end of this episode. We've got to get ready for the next one. So here we go. Send your questions, comments, and your own cover band experiences to dadbandland at gmail.com. Dadbandland is produced by me and by Jeffy Branion. Uh, cool Sonic Pastiche by Jeffy. Editing and Starburns production by Kyle McGraw. And I want to thank Jeffy Branion. I want to thank Kevin Burke. I want to thank Brian Frank. Yes. And we'll see you, our fan, next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening, fan. Yes. <laughs> I'm Dad Van Land. Thanks what for listening to Dad Van Land, fan. He's a Dad Van Land fan. I'm a Dad Van Land fan. Dad Van fan. Okay, tell me, tell me when I should start recording. Nice. Now. Star Bands Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.